0: Well, my name is Ben. Uh, I am a cohort leader here. I serve in, in a variety of ways at Sedaris, and uh, Dave asked me this week to be able to come and speak about joy. We're in the third week of Advent, and joy is the theme of the third week of Advent. And it's something that reigns over this, this season there. We sing songs about it. We sing joy to the world. And it's an exciting time. And to be honest, I love Christmas. Like, I'm the type of person, when, like, October starts to roll around, I'm like, there's some Halloween decorations coming up. You know what that means? It's really Christmas season. <laughs> Daylight savings rolls in, and it's like, oh, now it's dark? We need some Christmas lights up. My wife's like, we can't celebrate till after Thanksgiving, and I'm like, I'm thankful for Jesus, so (laughs) that's Christmas season. Christmas is such an exciting time. It's something I've always loved. It's a time of joy, but as I've grown older, I also recognize that it's really busy, and with that comes a lot of added stress. There's a lot that goes into it there. And in fact, as I was preparing for this sermon, I came across an article released by Harvard Medical School where they were citing a survey in which they asked uh, people about stress during the holidays, and 60 per- 62% of the respondents said that their stress levels during the holiday season are very escalated or somewhat escalated, because there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of distractions, there's a lot of things that in this season that's supposed to be filled with joy are trying to take us away from that joy. And I was reading through that and and reflecting on uh, scripture and praying, one of the things that I kept coming back to is this idea of what are the things that rob us of joy? There's a lot. I've already mentioned one of them, one of them is busyness. We get so busy during this season. That's something I actually experienced this week. We uh, celebrated my son's first birthday this week there. Should have been a time of joy and celebration and and, and relief that we made it and we survived, but I had to prepare a sermon. I had to plan for a party. We had to figure out a doctor's appointment for our son. My work season was really busy as we're preparing for a holiday break. All these things were kind of added together of this week of kind of celebration I couldn't fully enjoy it because of just the busyness of life. It was robbing me of a little of that joy that I could experience there. That's not the only thing that can rob us of joy, though. Comparison. We actually Googled, what what is the thief of joy? And if you Google that, what comes up is a quote from Teddy Roosevelt where he says, Comparison is the thief of joy. And how true is that? How easy is it for us to look around and look at what other people's have and go, oh, I don't have that. It's not hard to find numbers of articles, numerous articles about how social media impacts our joy and our well-being. Because it's too easily we get locked in scrolling through that Instagram or that Facebook saying, whoa, this person, they got this new job. They went on this trip. Oh, They just got married. Oh, they got to go do this fun thing. And in those instances, as we're looking at those things, we're often robbed of the joy of the things that we have for us. Another thing is unmet expectations. That robs us of joy. I love going to see movies there. That's one of the things, like if I have free time, which not much of it anymore... I like to go to the movie theater and watch movies. But there's times where a direct, one of my favorite directors will release something or I'll watch a trailer and i like, that looks great and I build up this hype so much in my mind and I go in there and I walk out and my wife will ask, well, what did you think? And I'll go, well I liked it but I didn't enjoy it that much because it didn't live up to this picture that I had created in my mind of what it would be. That I didn't get to experience the full joy because my expectations weren't met. Sin. Sin is a thief of joy. How often have we decided to give in to the temptation of something that looks good only to immediately feel afterwards guilt or shame or disappointment? Or maybe we've been the victim of sin and feel the pain and the suffering and the trauma that comes from that. That robs us of joy. There's so many things out there that want to try and take away from us the joy that we are actually called and created for. I truly believe that we are created for joy. You look at the... Fruits of the Spirit that Paul lists in Galatians 5. The second thing is joy. He wants us, God wants us to live in joy. And yet, sometimes that's hard to find. Sometimes it's hard to pursue. For all of these different reasons there. And today, as we're thinking about Advent and we're thinking about the coming of Christ, what I want to start to see to, to focus on is how do we actually pursue joy? What does that actually look at look like? What does God have for us when we pursue joy? And what we're going to find is it actually is unexpected. And it's actually unexpected and its simplicity. And what we're going to see is ultimately that joy is truly found in recognizing what the gospel is and what God has done for us. And that is the direction that we're going to head today. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at a story of a man who had unexpected expectations and see how he responded to that and then see how Christ responded to him. And in that story, we'll start to be able to see how can we find joy. So, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to uh, Luke chapter seven, uh, verses uh, eighteen through twenty-three. If you don't have a Bible, there's ones on the end, so just ask someone at the end of the row to hand it to you. If you don't have a Bible, take that. We want you to have a Bible. And as you're turning that page, I want to give you a little bit of background information of what we're going to see in this story. This story is about a man who is often referred to as John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was a relative of Jesus, but he was also considered to be a prophet. And so before Jesus' ministry began, John went around and called people to repentance. And he invited people out into the wilderness with them, calling them to repent of their sins and baptizing them. And calling them to say, hey, there's going to be one who comes after me. Who's going to be the one who forgives your sin. And what happens then is while he's out in the wilderness once, Jesus comes at the beginning of his ministry and he's baptized by John. And there's this really cool event that John gets to witness that no one else gets to witness when this happens. But when John baptizes Jesus, he sees the heavens open, the Spirit descend like a dove onto Jesus, and the voice of the Father say, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. John gets this really cool moment to see what is about to happen that no one else got to witness. And yet, just a short time later, we're going to see that John's expectations were not being met of what that actually meant. And that's where we find ourselves in John chapter 7. So verse 18, we, see, we find John in prison. And John, while he's in prison, it writes, the disciples of John or, reported all these things to him of what Jesus is doing. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour healed many people of diseases, plagues, and evil spirits. On many who were blind, he bestowed sight, and he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So, why do we start here? Because we see John is in a place where his circumstances are causing him to doubt who Jesus is. Here's a man who has had this great opportunity to see Jesus in his fullness is now questioning well, is this true? And so he approaches, he has his disciples go to Jesus and ask, are you the one? Or did I miss it? Is there someone else that I I should be seeing? Because things aren't lining up how I expected. I'm sitting here in jail. Spoiler, soon to be beheaded. Should I be looking for someone else? John was finding that his expectations had not been met. And he could no longer see or find the joy of the fact that Christ had come. And in that here, I want to start with one, one principle that is really encouraging there. That is, it's pretty normal to doubt. If you've ever doubted about wow, the story of God, you are in really good company. Just a couple verses after this, after John, or Jesus sends John's disciples back, Jesus then turns to the people, the crowds around him, and goes in verse 28, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. He's setting John up as an example. He's saying, John is the greatest amongst us. And yet, where have we found John in this story? Sitting there and going, are you the one? Have I missed it? How encouraging is that to all of us who have asked that, who are struggling to find truth, that even the best among us, even those who've had a clear representation, a word from God the Father himself, is going, is this real? Is this true? It'd be easy to throw John under the bus in this instance. But actually John's response to his doubt is a good example for all of us. Seattle is commonly found on what's called the top 10 cities, most de-churched cities in the nation. There's different research groups who will study that and release uh, those findings every year, and Seattle is one of the top 10 de-churched, and de-churched is important because it's different than unchurched. Unchurched is for those who have never been a part of a church community. De-churched refers to those who have been, but have left, and in my time and living in Seattle I've had lots of conversations with people who have left a faith community. And I'm always always curious to hear why. What was their story there? And in many ways it's it's very similar to John's. They found themselves in a, a circumstance where their expectations weren't met. They felt abandoned by God or hurt by God or hurt by someone from the church. And it led to doubts and they took those doubts and they rejected everything. That's really easy to do. But John here doesn't do that. Instead, John responds in a way that can be an example for us. Instead of just being like, well, I'm done with this. I'm in jail. It's not looking good for me. He instead approaches God. He goes to Jesus and says, hey, can you provide me answers? And so when you're experiencing doubts... That's what we should do. It's one of the big things about Sedaris here, one of the missions here, is that we ask people to consider Jesus. That just isn't a message for those who don't know Jesus that we want to see come be a part of the family of God. That's a message for all of us. We must continually consider Jesus because we will doubt, we will question, we will find ourselves in circumstances where our expectations are not being met. And instead of just throwing our hands up and being like, I'm done with this, what we are called to do and what we should do is approach God in those circumstances. Say, God, show me that you're the one. I hope that that can be an encouragement to you, that you can find some joy in that, that it's normal to have these feelings and have these doubts, and we can take joy that we don't have to run away from God, but we can actually approach Him with those. So Jesus then responds. He doesn't just cast John away, He actually responds to them. And His, his response is actually very interesting. It's not a very direct response of just saying, Yes, I'm the one. But what does He say? He says, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What Jesus is doing here is two things. He's inviting John to do two things in this instance. He's first asking John to look up and look around you and see what God is doing around you. Look beyond your own circumstances. The second thing he's also asking John is to look up and see what God has been doing throughout history. Don't look at just here and now, but look at what God has been doing for centuries. And we're going to take a moment to look at both of those briefly. First up, he's calling John to look at the things that are happening around him. Look, the gospel is being preached, the blind are receiving sight, the lame are walking, the deaf hear, the dead are being raised. John's circumstances were dire. But Jesus is asking him, look up, see what God is doing, hear the stories of others, see the deliverance of what other people are finding, take joy in those things. One of the things that we we strongly encourage people to do here at Sederus is be a part of communities or cohorts so that you have the opportunity to hear the stories of others and how God is providing for them or how God has delivered them or how even in the midst of dark seasons that people are still able to cling to the hope found in God. We can find joy when we look around and see what God is doing in the lives of others even when our seasons ourselves aren't the most joyful we can also find joy by knowing it reminds us that our seasons that we find ourselves in they're not everlasting that yes there's going to be dark times yes there's going to be suffering But when we see and hear the stories of others and what God is doing, we can be reminded that there will be a time where we can experience that too. We can find joy in that. The second thing that Jesus is calling John to do is to look at what God has been doing throughout history, now, you may be wondering, where, where do we find that in this passage? There's nothing about history here. But that's why it's important for us to understand a little bit about our Old Testaments. There, You see, we often come across instances where Jesus, when he speaks, is referencing passages of the Old Testament. This is actually one of them. See, in this passage, Jesus' response actually echoes a passage in Isaiah 35. I think it's going to be pulled up on the screen here, and we'll read through it here. And what's happening in this passage is Isaiah is encouraging the Israelites that God is going to save them and deliver them. And what we read is, Isaiah says, Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, behold, your God will come with a vengeance, with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute, sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness, and the streams, in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and a thirsty ground springs of water, in the haunt of jackals, where the... Where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. What Jesus is calling John to do is to remember this passage. That when Jesus says, "Ask John," he's basically asking him, "Are the blind seeing?" Are the lame walking? Do the deaf hear? He's saying, yes. That I am the one that this is speaking of in Isaiah. That the deliverance that Israel has been waiting for has come. That everlasting joy is here. This was written seven centuries before Jesus is speaking here. And what God is calling John to do is say, look up. You may see your circumstances now, but God sees history. And he has seen millennia. And he has been working throughout that history Today, he's inviting John to take joy in the fact that God has not forgotten his promises. Even when things are dire, even when things don't look great, even when a personal circumstances of someone are really rough, Jesus is saying, look up. See what God has been doing. He hasn't abandoned you. Take joy in the fact that God has been working throughout history, and that same God is still working today. We can take joy in the fact that God is a God who has fulfilled promises. And therefore, we can take joy in the fact. That God still fulfills His promises. That even when things don't seem great, God is still working to fulfill His promises today. So, what does that mean for us? I told you that joy is unexpected because joy comes from something that is very simple. What we've seen in these passages here is that the answer to joy is to look up. To look up and see what God is doing around us. Hear the stories from people who say, God delivered me from this. God healed me of this. God is providing me hope in this. You can find joy in those things. He's inviting us to look up. And when we look at Advent, when we look at the coming of Christ, we see that God has fulfilled the promises that he has been making for millennia. People often ask, "Well, do we need to read the Old Testament?" The answer is, yes. The Old Testament is filled with these promises that are building to the culmination that we see in a small town found in Judea 2,000 years ago. God was working, working through people, if you read the Old Testament aren't always the greatest. Countries and nations, Israel was the people of God. They were pretty terrible most of the time, too. And yet, God still worked to bring out his promises. And so calling for us today is to remember what God has done and what he does. In all honesty, that's the simplicity that God is calling us to when to pursue joy is to look up. And I know it sounds so simple and, and I was wrestling with this myself. It's like, is that it? Like, There's got to be more to it there. Well, The gospel says it's pretty simple. We don't do a whole lot to be saved. In fact, we don't really do anything And here in the pursuit of joy, God, our creator, who knows us better than ourselves, says, do you want to find joy? Look up from your circumstances, look around you, and see what God is doing today and see what God has done. As I was thinking about this as well, and wrestling was like, is it this simple? One of the things that I kept coming back to is this idea of the practice of mindfulness. Some of you are maybe familiar with that practice there. And it's a really simple technique that a lot of people are are being drawn to. I know my company's leadership had like a whole mindfulness training and seminars they went to that they then brought back to our whole company saying, hey, we need this. Because what mindfulness, and and I'm not going to say I'm an expert in this. Far from it there. But the idea of mindfulness is to find a way to get present in your current circumstances. And in doing so, when you find yourself fully present, stress starts to melt away. And there's a lot of people who swear by it there. And often one of the common ways people do that is through these breathing exercises where they're asked to focus on their breath over and over again there so that their mind starts to focus on that without focusing on other things. It's something that's very simple, and yet people swear by it. And why do I think that works? I think it works because in many ways, it's a shadow of what God is calling us to do in our pursuit of joy. But instead of in mindfulness, where we're asked to look inward and focus on our breath and allow that to fill us so that we don't worry about the stresses that are outside of us. God is saying, look outside of yourself to me. And let my spirit fill you with joy. That is where we can find joy. It's when we look outside of ourselves and look up to the one who loves us so dearly. I started by by saying, how does looking up or what robs us of joy? Well, how does looking up provide joy to those who are struggling with busyness? When we look up to God and see what he's doing and what he has done, it's a whole lot into perspective of what's truly important. That God is is saving those all around us. and allows us to really prioritize the things that are truly valuable in this world. That we can start to rearrange and reprioritize the things to pursue the things that are truly valuable and therefore create time to actually enjoy the world that God has given us. How does looking up provide joy to those who are having their joy robbed by Comparison? When we look up to Jesus, we're reminded that of what Paul writes that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That we don't need to compare ourselves to others because in Christ we are one. How does looking up provide joy to those who are having their joy robbed by unmet expectations? One, it humbles us, but it does not humiliate us. It it invites us to remember where we are at and who we are. And it reminds us that God, despite whatever our circumstances are, will fulfill his promises. The promises that still are unmet. So that when we read in Revelation 21.4, that Jesus will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That that is a promise that will be fulfilled. And we can take joy in that. That our current circumstances don't define who we are and won't define our legacy but instead we have a God who will define it by wiping away the tears of our eyes. And How does looking up provide joy to those who are having their joy robbed by sin? It reminds us that from the very first sin, God has set a plan in motion to deliver us. His first response was to let us know, I've got this. God has not left humanity to fend for itself, but instead we have a God who chose to step into that humanity, to suffer alongside us, not just to empathize with us, but also to defeat our two greatest enemies. He defeats Satan through his death on the cross and defeats death through his resurrection days later. We can find joy in that. So my charge to you today, wherever you are during the season, I know it's busy, I know there's a lot going on the holidays, take, take time to look up Look up and see what God has done. Celebrate that. This Christmas season is a reminder of us to remember that God has come and God is coming again. We are not alone. And I want to close with a quote from a German theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, Bonhoeffer was a uh, prominent theologian who was a professor and a pastor. And is also well known for being imprisoned and executed by the Nazis for being a part of a plot to overthrow Hitler. So he knows suffering. He knows what it means to follow Jesus. And in his reflections on the Advent season, he wrote this. Advent creates people, new people. We too are supposed to become new people in Advent. Look up. You whose gaze is fixed on this earth who are spellbound by the little events and changes on the face of the earth. Look up to these words, you who have turned away from heaven disappointed. Look up, you whose eyes are heavy with tears and who are heavy and who are crying over the fact that earth has graciously torn us away. Look up, you who are burdened with guilt. Cannot lift your eyes. Look up. Your redemption is drawing near. God will come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your promises. They remind us that you you act, you fulfill those promises, you provide us hope, you provide us joy. We We can be comforted by the fact that you have still left us with promises that we can cling to. So I pray for all of us during this season that we're reminded of this, that you are one who came, who suffered, who died, so that we could find joy unexpectedly.